If you're tired of these promos, supporters get the podcast early and ad-free. Just go to donate.bogosity.tv for the links to sign up. Welcome to the Bogosity Podcast for the week of August 27, 2023. The podcast that eats pie for breakfast. This is your host, Shane Killian. Let's salify the news of the bogus. If you want an indication on how the Georgia racketeering case against Donald Trump and 18 co-defendants will likely go, look at another case from the same Georgia prosecutor. Fulton County DA Fonnie T. Willis brought RICO charges against rapper Jeffrey Lamar Williams, better known as Young Thug, and 27 others. He was arrested in May of 2022, and since then, his case has moved at a snail's pace as the trial fractured and Willis's office pressured several defendants to plead guilty. Willis claims they are members of the criminal street gang YSL, which is responsible for murder, violence, drug dealing, and property crimes. In reality, YSL is a record label. She didn't even get the initialism right. She claimed it stood for Young Slime Life when it actually stands for Young Stoner Life. She's already extracted plea deals from several rappers, including Gunna, who pled guilty to a single charge in return for saying that YSL is a criminal gang, and she also got pleas from Slime Life Shoddy and Lil Duke. Again, someone please explain to me how this isn't witness tampering. Willis has even gone so far as to ban the public and the news media from the courtroom, citing security concerns and even an alleged attempt to smuggle drugs into the courtroom. I'll let you decide for yourself how seriously that should be taken. The case has been stuck in jury selection since January, with numerous potential jurors being released due to hardships they were to suffer from sitting on a trial estimated to last the better part of a year. The similarities to Trump's case cannot be ignored or denied. Like YSL, the Trump indictment outlines an alleged criminal organization made up of people like Trump's chief of staff, Mark Meadows, as well as his personal attorneys like Rudy Giuliani. Already, various defendants are making motions to have the case moved to another district or to federal court or to sever their case. In the YSL indictment, much of the so-called evidence is lyrics of some of the rap songs depicting violence. In the Trump indictment, she cites both public statements criticizing the elections and the Trump team's efforts to have the election reviewed. Both are potentially major First Amendment issues. Laughably, Willis initially stated the trial should begin in four months. For comparison, DUI cases generally take six. Now, she says she wants to begin trial in March, mere days before Super Tuesday. Harvey Silvergate, a lawyer representing defendant John Eastman, said, quote, Bringing in that many defendants in that many counts is an unmanageable criminal case. This is a case that wouldn't reach trial in two years. Of course, two years would be after the election, and that would defeat the real purpose everyone knows is behind all of this. By the way, one more similarity, Williams released an album while in prison, and it topped the Billboard charts. And with every indictment, Trump gets a boost in poll numbers. When are they ever going to learn about the Streisand effect? 
If you're looking for a way to support this channel, but you don't have any spare cash and you can't stand ads, you can do so by generating your own cryptocurrency. Use the links at the bottom of the description to follow the link to odyssey.com to listen to the podcast and see all of my YouTube videos as well. Just watching videos will produce cryptocurrency for the creator and yourself. And since Odyssey is always monetized and never censored, you'll have no problem seeing all the videos from your favorite creators. You can also use the library credits you created Odyssey to tip creators and even purchase paid content. Earn library credits through various rewards, including daily view rewards and the number of shares and invites. And you can interact with creators in all sorts of ways, including like and dislike, comment, boost a post by supporting it, repost it, and share to other sites, all while earning crypto for the creator. Easily monetize yourself and your favorite creators using cryptocurrency without advertising. Use the link below to visit this channel on odyssey.com and see many of your other favorites there as well. Mark Zuckerberg says that Facebook has independent fact-checkers, is open to all perspectives, and doesn't interfere in elections. But an Australian investigation shows that none of that is actually true. Sky News uncovered a collaboration between Royal Melbourne Institute of Technology and Meta to censor any Australian news at once. And they get paid $740,000 a year. Great scam if you can get in on it. Zuckerberg has claimed that Meta just farms its censorship out to the International Fact-Checking Network, or IFCN, which is owned by the Florida-based Pointer Institute for Media Studies. The IFCN certifies fact-checkers with no real public audit possible. But even so, the RMIT's certification expired in December, which means that the RMIT can censor completely on its own without even that level of oversight and it's one of 55 fact-checking organizations who keep operating despite expired IFCN certifications. And RMIT fact-checkers themselves have committed numerous code breaches, such as one who went on social media to label opposition leader Peter Dutton a fear-mongering racist. Her fact-checks, paid for by Meta, resulted in many Australian journalists being censored on Facebook. The fact-checks in question have to do with coverage of the controversial 2023 voice referendum. The 17 checks on the issue between May 3 and June 23 were all targeting anti-voice viewpoints. When Sky News Australia contacted IFCN with questions on the matter, IFCN director Angie Holland blew them off, quote, Fact-checkers are highly scrutinized and tend to be criticized in the same way as referees calling a football match. It's common for those who dislike fact-checkers' findings to claim that the fact-checkers themselves have shown personal bias or that they've selected the wrong things to fact-check. Such claims should be taken up with the fact-checking organizations themselves. The IFCN does not adjudicate claims about specific fact-checks, but rather looks for the soundness of overall methodology and practices. Yeah, censorship of the news is exactly like refereeing a football match. Says everything about their organization. Similar bias has been shown of fact-checks from the University of Adelaide, in particular Victoria Fielding, who's being funded by Australians for a Murdoch Royal Commission, an activist group seeking to censor certain news outlets, including the Australian, the Daily Telegraph, the Courier-Mail, the Advertiser, and Sky News Australia. 
The report found that Fielding's team didn't even try to analyze all content published in Sky News about The Voice. They just looked at stories from the No campaign. When asked why all of their research covering the Yes campaign was ignored, Fielding responded, quote, Stories analyzed for the period are randomly selected in accordance with robust research methodology. Each week, the research team will be coding approximately the same number of randomly selected media items to ensure evenly weighted samples across the project. Yeah, it just happened to work out that way. Once they pointed out how the selection is misleading, the university stopped responding to them. The report also pointed out that a lot of times they were merely quoting what politicians said, and quoting a politician is not an endorsement of his message. Both universities are taxpayer-funded and rake in hundreds of millions of dollars from Australian taxpayers every year, and they're seeking to censor anti-voice opinions to make sure the voice referendum passes. And the report goes on and on and on, with examples of fact-checkers either being activists themselves or acting on behalf of activist groups. And it's backed up by documents they received from public freedom of information requests. And that includes Sky News Australia's correspondence with RMIT, where they acknowledged going after parody accounts, removing posts that weren't false or illegal, and even some revelations about IFCN itself. They called IFCN a comparatively small operation of about five people and blamed their lack of renewal on IT issues. They also said, quote, Further, earlier this year, the interim director's wife was traumatically injured in a random attack. As such, I would speculate that the review of renewal applications would not necessarily be their utmost priority at this time. Sky News Australia reported, quote, If RMIT is correct, and a traumatic injury on one staff member's wife means the body cannot fulfill its functions, fact-checking organizations globally are now deplatforming content on Facebook without any oversight at all. And they also insisted that an expired certification doesn't mean they're uncertified because, quote, the IFCN does not use that term as a signatory status. Like IFCN, Meta waved off all responsibility as well. Quote, Meta doesn't believe companies like ours should decide what's true or false, so we partner with independent fact-checkers to identify and review potential misinformation. If someone disagrees with a rating applied to their content, they can request a review with the fact-checking organization. Apparently, the buck stops nowhere. If you thought the Twitter files made your head spin, you ain't seen nothing yet. And if this is happening both in the US and Australia, it's a safe bet it's happening in a lot of other countries too. The report's author, Jack Houghton, wrote, It is all very well to proudly celebrate your charter, code of conduct, and strict ethical mantras to appear credible. But if those documents are simply ignored it all becomes meaningless. These are rules democratic governments around the world have been told exist to keep the industry honest. Instead of acting impartially and with transparency, fact-checking operations have become unashamedly partisan. Meta has much explaining to do.
If you're on the Wi-Fi in a coffee shop or hotel, anyone on that network can get your traffic. Do you really trust all of those strangers? For that matter, do you really trust your ISP? A VPN can protect you from prying eyes, disguise your location, and even foil government sensors. It's essential in this day and age. So go to vpn.pagosity.tv and you'll be taken to BoxPN. Starting at just $2.99 a month, you can get unlimited high-speed connections to VPN servers all over the world. And they don't log connections, so your privacy is assured. Traveling abroad, just VPN home, and don't worry about what those other governments are doing. Back at home, stop your ISP from traffic shaping and messing with the quality internet access you're paying good money for. You can connect from multiple machines at once, including your smartphone or tablet, and it supports all the secure standards, including OpenVPN and SSTP. Bypass sensors and surveillance with your own secure VPN connection. Go to vpn.pagosity.tv. In other free speech news, Elon Musk has announced that X, formerly Twitter, will be filing legal action against politicians and NGOs who are falsely claiming that hate incidents are rising. It's just not true. If anything, tolerance of minorities and opposition to racism and bigotry are the highest they've ever been. As Irish journalist Ben Scullin noted in a recent report, it's not hate offenses that are on the rise, but an increase in reports. There are overall fewer incidents, but more are being reported as the incidents are tolerated less and less by others. And as Scullin pointed out, quote, For police to classify something as a hate offense, which is either a crime or incident, which is a hate act that is not criminalized, no actual proof or evidence is required beyond somebody simply calling it that. The police themselves admit that the threshold for perception required for this is very low. And, in fact, more and more the incidents are reported not by the victim, but by a witness or bystander. Although the report is from Ireland, the same effect is being seen in America and other countries and the misinformation can be traced back to the censorship industrial complex. Journalist Michael Schellenberger tweeted, The data show the opposite, higher than ever and rising levels of tolerance of minorities. The reason they're spreading hate misinformation is to justify a draconian crackdown on free speech. Musk has already filed a lawsuit against the Center for Countering Digital Hate after they engaged in a, quote, scare campaign to drive away advertisers. As time goes on, it's becoming more and more clear that the more someone screeches about racism or hate or whatever, the less seriously we should take them. Hate is not increasing on Twitter or anywhere else. What is increasing is emotional bullying by those who want complete control over everything we hear and say. It really seems that over the last several years, they've been winning. Hopefully, now that's beginning to change, especially if Musk follows through on his threat. The discovery alone could blow a lot of this wide open. Do you have children or nieces or nephews? Are you homeschooling or just want to counter some of the socialist indoctrination most children get in school? 
If so, go to bogosity.tv slash Tuttle Twins and you'll be taken to a website where you can get some great books for elementary age children. The Tuttle Twins books are books about liberty and free market economics that include children's versions of Bastiat's The Law, Leonard Reed's I Pencil, and Hayek's The Road to Serfdom, as well as books about the Federal Reserve and how regulations protect business cronies. They'll learn about the harm caused by eminent domain or regulations passed in the name of safety and fundamental concepts of liberty. And as you can see from the sample pages on the website, they're all easy to read and nicely illustrated. They're just $9.99 a piece, or get a special discount as well as free bonuses when you purchase all five. You can even buy in bulk to donate to schools and local libraries. So get the Tuttle Twins books at bogosity.tv slash Tuttle Twins. And now it's time to innervate this week's Vegas Bogan Emitter. And this one is about something we've long known that cops everywhere do, pretextual traffic stops that often escalate and result in non-consensual interrogations of drivers and passengers. It begins with a minor moving violation that may exist only in the cop's imagination. Other factors can then be used to escalate to reasonable suspicion. And as we've covered in the past, those factors can be things like being combative, being agreeable, being nervous, being calm, and also lots of things involving words without any distinct meaning like furtive. On all too rare occasions, the courts actually call them out on it. Case in point, an Ohio appeals court ruled against the presumption of good faith that officers routinely enjoy but rarely deserve. They had to remind the state's police officers that they're actually supposed to know what the law is before pulling someone over, let alone the subsequent fishing expedition to lead to warrantless searches. While the adage, ignorance of the law is no excuse, is used to beat citizens over the head with the tiniest unpredictable details of obscure and vague laws, cops often get a free pass because of reasonable ignorance but the court found that there were limits to what ignorance can be considered reasonable. In August of 2020, a cop, who was apparently bored at the time, started running vehicle tags at random. He said that cops do this a lot when there's not much going on. Gotta pass the time somehow! So he found a tag that showed up in the system as expired. He walked up to the car, did the I smell marijuana bit, observed the furtive gesture, and his warrantless search of the car was underway. Like magic. And he hit the jackpot. A handgun, several rounds of ammo, and marijuana. There's just one problem. Due to the pandemic, the law was amended to allow all plates expiring between March 9 and December 1 of 2020 to remain valid, since a lot of people didn't have the ability to renew their plates during that time. It went into law on March 27, five months before. And the court found he had no credible excuse for not being aware of the law. They ruled. Officer Jacobs testified that he is familiar with HB 197, and that it concerns registration and licensing requirements. Officer Jacobs denied that, on or before August 11, 2020, he knew the implications of HB 197. According to Officer Jacobs, he was provided the BMV memorandum around March 19, 2020. When asked if the document distinguishes between license and vehicle registration, he responded, No, 
Yes, I think. I believe it would distinguish. I don't know. This is another funny thing to notice about cops. When questioned on the stand by prosecutors, they've been doing this for years and totally know the law and are total experts and yes sirree Bob, we know all the details of the case to the letter and boy howdy can you trust us on it. On cross-examination by the defense, they suddenly can't remember certain details of the stop, don't really know the intricacies of the law, and just can't talk on expert matters. And in this case, quote, on cross-examination, Officer Jacobs acknowledged an important part of his job is knowing the laws of the state of Ohio and that, pursuant to HB 197, there were no expired registrations. On redirect examination, Officer Jacobs testified that he believed at the time of the stop that he was abiding by the law of the state of Ohio. Despite that admission, the trial court still somehow denied the request to suppress the evidence from the search as fruit of a poisonous tree. But the appeals court didn't like it. In giving this incredibly vast forgiveness to lawfully ignorant officers who just pinky swear they thought the law had been violated, they did manage to require that the law in question must be ambiguous, and this one wasn't. Quote, Upon review, HB 197 is unambiguous in its terms. The uncodified provision makes clear that an individual does not need to take any action to renew their registration if it expired between March 9, 2020 to December 1, 2020, and any registrations that were set to expire during that period remained valid under the law. Put another way, the plain language of HB 197 provides that, outside of the well-delineated exceptions, any vehicle registration that was otherwise expiring during the period of emergency remained valid under the law. Arguendo, even if there was some ambiguity in the uncodified provision, Officer Jacobs' stop was objectively unreasonable as he had no knowledge of HB 197 or the change in law concerning vehicle registrations. Officer Jacobs acknowledged that under HB 197, vehicle registration set to expire during the period of emergency remained valid under the law. When asked if he was provided any information regarding the change of protocol in regards to license or vehicle registration, Jacobs responded, not to my knowledge. In other words, ignorance of an unambiguous law is no excuse. Quote, Unlike the officer in Hyen who relied on his reasonable yet erroneous interpretation of North Carolina traffic law, Officer Jacobs had no knowledge of HB 197 and failed to cite any provision of the uncodified law that supported his interpretation. As Officer Jacobs' mistake of law was objectively unreasonable, the traffic stop constituted a violation of appellant's rights. You can't have reasonable suspicion that someone violated the law if you don't know what the law is. Nice to see a court acknowledge that for once and they made sure the lesson was clear. Quote, it is our hope that the suppression of evidence in this case will result in appreciable deterrence of Fourth Amendment violations going forward. There will come a time, sometime in the future, when the General Assembly will have to enact an uncodified law to provide emergency relief to Ohioans. It is incumbent upon law enforcement, in turn, to make reasonable efforts to stay informed of changes in the law. Here, Suppression of the evidence derived from the initial traffic stop 
would pay its way by requiring law enforcement to make reasonable efforts to know the law they are duty-bound to enforce. Hopefully, this is the start of more chinks in the armor that protect law enforcement when they violate our rights. In the past, they've gotten away with arresting people for violating gun laws that don't exist, arresting people for marijuana in states where marijuana is legal, and smashing indoors shooting people after getting the address wrong. Hopefully, judges are beginning to see the reality of cops who are not impartial experts but at worst, violent thugs, and at best, this week's biggest bogan emitter. I want to tell you about the eyeglasses I've been wearing for years. As people can see on my videos, I have a very strong prescription, which makes glasses more expensive, especially when I need computer glasses, reading glasses, prescription sunglasses, and most expensively, progressive lenses for general everyday wear. To save money while still getting quality glasses, I get them from Fermu. In fact, I just got a pair of progressives with high-index aspherical lenses and a nice pair of frames my wife loves for just over $100. It would have been $500 to get them through my eye doctor. Not only do they look good, the glasses are durable. I've worn many pairs for several years without problems. All orders come with a 30-day return policy, a 3-month warranty, and one-on-one -on -one customer service. Go to Firmu, that's F-I-R-M-O-O dot TV, anytime you need quality glasses at a low price. Once again, that's Firmu dot TV. And now let's unalienate this week's... Speaking of seeing reality, how many times does the war on drugs have to fail over and over and over again before people decide they're not going to stand for it anymore? Case in point, Arizona public reporter Abe Kwok, and yes, I'm sure I messed that up, but who cares, who actually acknowledges the problems with drug war policies such as mandatory minimums, but utterly fails to learn the lessons. I personally like him for this part near the beginning, quote, Remember the special legislative session in early 2018 that tightened opioid prescriptions? Restrictions that did little to slow deaths from overdoses, but created their own set of problems, such as blocking access to relief for chronic pain sufferers. So even the drug warriors are noting the problems. He even has a section titled, Mandatory Sentencing Laws Don't Work. Citing research from the Cato Institute, he noted, quote, a 1,500% spike in methamphetamine deaths in the United States between 2006 and 2021 following voter-approved Proposition 301 in Arizona that imposed mandatory minimum prison sentences for possessing, transferring, selling, distributing, or manufacturing meth. But somehow, his solution is more prosecution. Quote, Most people know, especially those who peddle the drug, that just a tiny amount of fentanyl can be lethal. But as we've covered, the actual amount isn't as important as the amount drug users think is appropriate, especially if they think they're getting heroin. It's not about the dosage. It's about dosage control, which the black market doesn't do. He suggested that we might, quote, call for law enforcement agencies to commit to aggressively investigate the direct source of the drugs in an overdose fatality 
and for prosecutors' offices to vigorously pursue charges when there's sufficient evidence. But if he'd read the rest of the Cato report, he'd see the problem. The report's author, Jeffrey Singer, said, quote, Enforcing prohibition incentivizes those who market prohibited substances to develop more potent forms that are easier to smuggle in smaller sizes and subdivide into more units to sell. During prohibition, they went from beer to distilled liquor. Later, they went from powdered cocaine to crack. Now, they've gone from heroin to fentanyl. Can we please spot the pattern here? He finishes off with, quote, Pursuing criminal charges in those roughly 1,300 cases may not make a dent in drug supply or demand, but they would represent a closer step towards justice. And that can't be a bad thing. But yes, it can. It's exactly that that's caused the very fentanyl deaths he's complaining about. And what sort of justice is he talking about? Has he not seen the hideous results of the militarization of police? How urban areas have been ruined by street gangs? How nonviolent drug users are resulting in prison overcrowding that results in violent criminals being released early? And how it's the single biggest reason for cops becoming corrupt? The war on drugs represents the single worst source of harm for justice and our rights since Jim Crow went down. The solution is simply to end it, once and for all, now and forever. Anything less, and the madness will continue. So all of that makes Abe Kwok this week's... Idiot Well, that wraps up this Sing Out Criminals, Let Them Hear You in Solitary edition of the Bogosity Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please go to donate.bogosity.tv for several ways to support and discord.bogosity.tv to join the discussion. Subscribe at Patreon or Subscribestar and you can listen early and ad-free. Thank you for listening. Until next time, here's a quote from Julian Assange. It is impossible to correct abuses unless we know that they're going on. The Bogosity Podcast is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution on Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 International License. Bogosity.